When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, Charles the Fourth, or is it the Third? Bloody bitch! We will supply the denazification of the Let me put it to you! Justin, yes, you If you win by one, you've won. The phone went over the side. It is time to destroy the I just think everyone should be sure. What the fuck is going on? Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast, where each week I ask the question What the fuck is going on? Just as vinyl and craft beers came back when we thought they were finished, who could have predicted the return of witch hunting? The witch hunters are chasing Philip Schofield, Donald Trump and Boris Johnson at the moment. I hope witch hunting isn't understaffed or they'll be exhausted. The modern witch hunting is uncannily similar to the 15th century version because back then the people picked on as supposed witches were the vulnerable and the weak, usually defenceless women. And in the same way, the modern witch hunt is used to attack poor souls who have never been given any help in life, such as Boris Johnson and Donald Trump. It's easy to see why the ex-Prime Minister is so bitter about the way he's been treated. Tossed around in the social welfare system from boarding school to Eton, he just never stood a chance. And somehow he overcame all these hurdles to become Prime Minister, but still the elite tried to bring him down. Every day, someone accused him of lying simply because he kept saying things that weren't true. Whenever there was an investigation into something he might have done, such as giving public money to a business run by a pole dancer that he was having an affair with, it found that he'd done it. You would think that one time out of 20, just for variety, the investigators might conclude he hadn't arranged a CD loan for wallpaper at £800 a roll, or he hadn't appointed someone to run the BBC who had sorted out hundreds of thousands of pounds for him. So investigations should have been set up for random accusations, such as borrowing the Queen's cutlery for a barbecue and never giving it back, or pleasuring himself under the table at a NATO summit, so he could have been found innocent of a couple of things. Now, the trouble is, if they did that, They'd probably find he was guilty of them as well. But another reason to describe the treatment of Boris Johnson as a cruel witch hunt is he's been allowed to appoint a series of his mates to the House of Lords. And this was exactly what happened when women were accused of witchcraft. The Witchfinder General always asked them if there were any other witches they would like to have knighted as a goodwill gesture. The first investigation was a witch hunt, said Johnson, because the woman he appointed to conduct the investigation is someone who turned out to be biased against him. And amongst the biased views she had was that the photos of him at parties were of him at parties. Now, anyone less biased would have concluded they weren't of him at parties because he might not be him. He might be the late Tina Turner and the parties might have been recordings of a Polish edition of Songs of Praise. Then the Parliamentary Committee was a witch hunt because although a majority of it were Conservatives, They weren't the right sort of Conservatives. What sort of society do we live in where a committee asked to report on whether someone broke the law is all drawn from one tiny elite bubble, such as people who think that the person accused of breaking the law obviously broke the law because all the evidence is that he broke the law? 
as he says, the only reason that anyone thinks he was at a series of parties is because they want to reverse Brexit. Because it seems inevitable. If you agree the photo of Boris Johnson at a party is of Boris Johnson at a party, that the next thing you'll do is take us back into the European Union. It was the same when the Hatton Garden Heist gang were jailed for the Hatton Garden Heist. We all know the real motive was to cancel the Treaty of Versailles. So given the provocation, it's amazing that Johnson responded with a measured statement, as persuasive as it was profound, that started, It's not fair. I wanted to keep being Prime Minister. It's not fair. I fucking hate you all. All of you, I fucking hate you all. Then came the sensitive response to all those who feel upset because they had to abide by the rules perhaps even when a loved one was dying alone with no one allowed in the hospital. To these people, he said nothing at all, not a thing, in a beautiful artistic gesture, because we know that all he's been thinking about through this whole process has been other people. We can only hope that his friends say to him, Boris, just occasionally you must have a little moment to think about your own needs. When everybody honest, wise, or decent had all gone, there was nothing left to ask what the fuck is going on. Boris Johnson's resignation honours list has caused a great deal of controversy and upset, especially for Tory backbench MP Nadine Boris. Nadine, could Don't I ask... Don't you fucking dare. You've done this, you shithouse. You and your fucking army of twiglet cock mice nibbling away at a glorious giant tiger of a man. None of you's are fit to lick his boots. So would it be fair oh, to say... your face. You know what this is about. It's because I'm working class. I was promised a peerage, and then posh boys took it off me. It's like when Janine gave that bouncer at the Eagle a handy and he never let her in anyway. That's exactly what Rishi Sunak's done. Some people might argue that Boris Johnson is also from a posh background. Boris Johnson? Alexander Boris de Fethel Johnson. Are you fucking joking? He's working class through and through. He came from a dead poor background. If he grew up on our estate, they'd have called him Pikey. But he went to Eton. So what? He was one of the poorest kids at Eton. Even his butler was poor. So you don't think there's any chance that Boris Johnson was lying when he promised you a peerage? Boris Johnson has never lied to anyone, and I know that for a fact, because he told me. Anyway, fuck the lot of them. I never wanted to go to the shit house of lords. It's full of shit houses. I want to go to the grapes and have ten glasses of wine and some Jaeger bombs. Who's coming with me? Oh, it's not fair. I was going to be a lady. I was going to have a crown and everything. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to anyone. Those Ukrainians don't know how lucky they are compared to me. What the fuck is going on? What the fuck, what the fuck is going on? Now, every week I say that we need expert advice to find out what the fuck is going on, and then I just have to announce whoever it is and pretend that this is an expert. But not this week. This week. It is my uh, absolute privilege to announce that we have with us Mr. Jim Bob from Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine, an expert in so many fields that it is um, almost uh, impossible to list them all. That would be the end of the interview. 
Mr. Jim Bob, hello. Hello. And where are you coming from at the moment? I'm in uh, Crystal Palace. <sighs> where are you? Well, the, the same, as oh, we know. We could, have done, this into in, each we could other. have done this in real life. <laughs> we could have done, I know, yeah, this is a modern world. What? You actually met the person? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, uh, it's, um, no, it's marvellous. We're just at opposite ends of the tower, I think. Yeah. And it, it, that that it, sounds it, sort of sinister, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the opposite ends of the town. <laughs> it does. It does sound sinister. But and, and of course, um, uh, well, we've still, Cart of the Unstoppable Sex Machine, amongst your uh, many, many marvelous songs uh, over the last thirty years or so, one of the few songs, and I can't work out why it is lamentably few, uh, that actually mentions Crystal Palace in the lyrics. Yeah. Do you think it's? Do you think there are others? There must be others, mustn't there? Well, none as great as it uh, was. Midnight on the Murder Mile. No. Oh God, I've got to get this right. Wilson Pickett's favourite hour. I was walking towards the flashing smile of the Crystal Palace yeah. Tower. And it wet. It's not there anymore, is it? The flashing smile. Because do you remember it used to flash? Uh, the light at the oh, top. Oh, does it? Oh, I didn't notice. It doesn't flash anymore. I don't even know if there's a light anymore. It used to flash. Oh, so if like, you were to listen to that. If you were listening to that song, that would actually be quite historically educational. Yeah, I mean that whole thing. That whole that's, that's a kind of walk. That was a walk from uh, West West Norwood to Crystal Palace when the bus used to terminate, like get the the, the last bus home, and it would terminate mm. in West Norwood, and then at the garage. Yeah, and absolutely. And do you know what, Jim? This is this happened to me <laughs> more than once. I got that bus, and it said Crystal Palace. And then it got to Norwood Garage and stopped and they went and turned it on. They just put the wrong thing on the front of the bus. Uh, and that was one of them things where you think, is there any point in is, life? Yeah, it's that one and um, <laughs> we're going to hold this bus here for a while where we change drivers. Oh, God, they always change drivers. And that, yeah, we've got to change drivers at Norwood Garage. Yeah. It wait so long. You think not only are you changing drivers, you're actually having to sort of recruit new people and then train them up for a couple of years. Why can't they just complete the journey? Just do one driver per year. It's, it seems simple, doesn't it? Yeah. So these are the sort of issues that we try to get to grips with here. When we started this podcast, we used to talk about things like Putin and uh, <laughs> you know, nuclear weapons, Ukraine, Trump, and we've sorted all that. So now we're talking about why they can't change drivers on bus routes at the end rather than in the middle. <laughs> right. Oh, this is something I was going to ask you. So I saw that you mentioned that you got a review very recently in the Times, or I'm not sure if it was a review, but an article about yeah. the early days of Carter. And what was it that the journalist or that was, the Times, the Times put in about you? It was. It was actually. A, it was an interview with Noel Gallagher. <laughs> and Noel, right. Gallagher, Noel Gallagher hated Carter and has never got over it for some reason. It's like still seems to keep him awake at night. <laughs> so every now and again he'll mention us. So he sort of slagged us off. But so it had the name of the band, and then I'm guessing the Times put in, and I can't remember what it said, but put in a brackets explanation for the readers, and I think it was, was it jokey, jokey indie duo, Just jokey spoof indie duo, something. I don't know if spoof was there, but let's say it was. Right. But it, but it was. Right. Yeah, it was, but they obviously thought, well, we better explain who this is because the readers won't know, will they? And that's more, irri and then more irritating. Indie yeah. Horrible, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, no, it was it was really horrible because there was um you know, not to be too pompous about it, but I mean some a lot of the a lot of the songs were incredibly sort of like brilliant 
sort yeah. of uh, comments and stuff, weren't they? You know, the one about the racism in the army, for example, which yeah. was a huge, become a huge. Was that ever a single? Uh, yeah, it was. Bat, it was one of our uh, many banned singles. It was banned by the because it came out during the uh, Gulf War, first Gulf War, Gulf War One. So the BBC uh, wouldn't play it. But do you remember they banned all songs with any kind of connection to to war and or it with the words banging or anything like that. Right. So yeah, so it got it got Oh, didn't they ban Boom Bang a Bang? Or was did, that a joke? Yeah, Boom Bang a Bang. Massive Attack had to change their name, didn't they, to Massive or something. Oh right, right. To you know, to to yeah, to my to my old journey through the suburbs. <laughs> why have you any idea why Noel Gallagher took against you. I know, you know, clearly the whole point of Noel Gallagher is he decides to hate things for no yeah. apparent reason. He'd probably go, I fucking hate sherbet fountains, me, <laughs> and paving stones and goldfish. They can fuck off. But uh, why Carter? Uh, I th- I'm guessing at the time it was because they were uh, a new band and we were an old band and they wanted to push us, oh, out, right. push us out of the way. But the weird thing is that he's still saying it in 2023. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Which is> <laughs> So you were you were Elvis to his clash, yeah, maybe. Oh, don't let me think of this through. We were, yeah, maybe, yeah. We were, yeah, we were Elvis, Beatles, and the Rolling Stones. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one's fucking enough. No, he, he, well, I, I think he's taken a dislike to various people. You're probably very in, probably in very good company, but um. But we also sort of because I I remember thinking when I first heard Carter that it was um, in a way it was like punk punk with a tune because there was a sort of, the attitude towards it was very punky. There was, you had a very sort of um, you had very much a, a sense of where uh, it seemed very anarchistic. Yeah, we had we, we had a we, it wasn't a policy, but we had an unwritten uh, no compromise policy. <laughs> we were very sort of reluctant to do you know we wouldn't perform in front of uh, any kind of sponsorship advertising slogans right. or anything like that which nowadays would be impossible obviously but now it would be, would be absolutely yeah. impossible you would end yeah. up not only would you have to play in your own garage but you'd have to clear <laughs> your garage of every oh no there's fucking stuff all over the lawnmower um uh yeah yeah, yeah. god what a, what an amazing thing that yeah that would have been so uh, that did that cause a rumpus at Glastonbury at that time. Um, no, it's other things that caused the rumpus at Glastonbury. <laughs> what? How did you fall out of Glastonbury? We, uh, um, which the whole the sort of day overran. I think it was which. Uh, so we were because we were the last band on, so we right. didn't. We had to cut our set short, and we we had all this kind of stuff planned for the end that we couldn't do. Uh-huh. So we 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 sort of we were quite obviously. Angry as always, angry about that, and ended up arguing with all the with the stage manager, and then they 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 agreed that Fruitback could go back on and just uh, thank everyone for coming and apologising that we couldn't play any more songs. But he just went on, slagged off the entire thing, accused right. them, accused uh, accused them of chucking out the travellers, and then we just. Uh, called Michael Mike Michael Eve is a cunt or something like that. And then, and then oh, we right. and then we were asked to leave. We were asked to leave. <laughs> right. But you know uh, uh, okay. So, but what but it does seem unfair that you had to what it was who I wonder who ran what, who was it in the afternoon? Who'd I think it done was twenty minutes extra. The the, the uh, according to our old roadie 
he always has always said it was fishbone. Do you remember the fishbone? American? No. Uh, no. Well, there you go. That's, that's showbiz. <laughs> they, they run before us and they apparently overran by quite a bit. But also the <clears throat> annoying thing at the time, what we were told by possibly, I don't know, somebody there, <laughs> one of the main Glastonbury people, was that there are no headline bands at Glastonbury. All bands are equal. Oh right, which is which is bollocks. Because if you're on first, you're getting forty pound. If you're on last, back then you're getting sixty thousand pounds. So that's not equal, is it? <laughs> no, and I wonder the say the year that the Stones did it. <clears throat> if someone had come up and gone right uh, now, the thing is, Mick, Pete, right? Everyone's equal, and uh, oh, the trouble is, right? The uh, <laughs> the cat the. the the catatonic cycles can't get here till late because it's been a bit of a traffic jam. So they're going to go on at the end. So if you can go on like at three in the afternoon and just do 20 minutes, and I'm sure Mick would have gone, yeah, I don't fucking care because we're all fucking equal. And it would all all have been fine. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so you're obviously still motivated all the time to write. Because this is quite, the, this is the very the, there are not very many people who have been uh, going for, 30 years or, or more that when you see someone there's still you still want to see what they're doing now you know if you went to see the stones for example and i speak as a total dvd devotee of the stones but if they just did everything that they'd written in the last year uh, you uh, there would be a lot of very angry people screaming <laughs> on it women and oh, give me shelter and um Similar, I went to see Suede uh, about six months ago, and it was all this new album stuff. And I found myself very cheated by that. <laughs> and, uh, but you wouldn't get that with you. You would, what you would, you would want to come and see, like, oh, what's the things he's doing now? A bit more like a, a bit like with a comic, I suppose. You'd sort yeah. of want to see what they're doing now rather than just the old things. But I will do a few old things as well. T- yeah, 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 yeah. No, I you want the, that, but as a live thing, yeah. So the, I, I, I think of it as the Nick, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Every time they used to play, they'd always do songs from the new album and then hits. They'd like ignore all the other, all the other songs on all the other albums. They'd only play hits and new stuff. So I sort of try to think like that. Don't, yeah, don't I was going to mention sides. that actually. Yeah. I was going to mention as Nick Cave is one of the other people that whenever you see Nick Cave, you think, well, what are you doing? What are you doing now? That's always what people are talking about. Is what the latest album is. Very, very few. Given that he's got about five thousand songs, yeah. and you could sort of perm any of them from from that to sort of have, have a really decent show. Um, but yeah, is there not a bit of you that thinks? I mean, on this very podcast today, my own son has told me off for doing far too long in the shows. <laughs> There's not a bit of you that thinks, "Oh, it's a shame to leave all them out." Can we do seven hours? Yeah, I quite. Yeah, I mean, if if I didn't have a manager, I probably would be playing three or four hours. But he he's very uh, he hates long gigs. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Presumably, this isn't the same manager that was with you when you wanted to go over the. At Glastonbury. No, although he was there, he was there. He was fifteen years old. It was the first gig he'd ever been to, Glastonbury, and he thought what you had to do was get down the front early. So right. he got down the front apparently at eleven o'clock in the morning, stayed there the whole day to eleven o'clock at night when we came on, and then when we came on, the entire crowd surged. He got kicked in the head and missed half the gig. <laughs> and he's now my manager. <laughs> 
<laughs> the times you hear that story, <laughs> I think the colonel was the same. He got down really, really early with an early Elvis gig at a, at a church. <laughs> Didn't think at all the congregation had come and kick him in the head. Um, now you've annoyed. Um, now what you put out a tweet about Jacob Rees Mogg that went viral, I suppose is the is the I did, yeah. Basically, it was a video. It did a video for a song on the album called "Sebastian's Gone on a Ride Along," which is about a. Uh, it's sort of about a posh bloke, right, going sort of slum tour, like a slum tourism. Oh, okay. Because I didn't. I love the song, but I couldn't really work out what it was about. Okay, so, so it's quite a simple song. That's that's all it right, really yeah, is. Yeah. It's just getting in a police yeah. car and driving through a rough part of town. And for the for the video, I I animated. Uh, I needed somebody in a car in a police car. And right. so and I had that picture of Jacob Rees-Mogg lounging in the House of Commons. So I put that in the car. And it's tiny. You can't really see it. Hardly see it. But uh, somebody had seen it and uh, he sent a message, well, supposedly from him or one of his people, uh, demanding that it be removed. And so I just <laughs> shared that on Twitter thinking, this is funny. And then it kind of, uh, yeah, two and a half million retweets <laughs> later. <laughs> Oh, so that's um. I wonder what the Venn diagram is of people who have angered Noel Gallagher and Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> if they met, I really think he really is the most important. I fucking, you're fucking right, man. You're fucking right. You're fucking right, twat. Yes, one really feels that one really must in, on this particular juncture take action of a certain nature. Uh, <laughs> The album comes out on, uh, uh, is it, well, June the 30th. Most people listen to this. June the 30th will have passed by, I would think. Yeah. You can What's still it? buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not like a, it's not like a show. It's, oh, fuck, I've missed it. And so the new Jim Bob album is called? Uh, thanks for reaching out. And, and also you're doing loads of live shows later in the year? Yeah, doing sort of four in the UK and some in Europe and then another one in London at Christmas. Um, Yeah, some of them sold out, some of them not. Oh, that's not bad for November and December, though, is it? No, no. I have to come on here and say, come to my show tomorrow night because it's not sold out. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. And one final thing that I've got to mention, uh, last but very much not least, you are the first person in the history of this podcast to have sent us an actual jingle. So to actually play a jingle, which we'll very, very much use uh, on the podcast, which I'm deeply honoured to to be the recipient of. Thank you very much, Mr. Jim Bob. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, what the fuck is going on? On this podcast, we always like to be positive about the tremendous things that are happening in this great country of ours. And so we're delighted to bring you another extract from the post-Brexit diaries of Britain's most patriotic man, Nigel Boulevard. This week, I've been delighted to enjoy the great British summer activity of a barbecue. How thrilling it was to once again partake in this wonderful tradition after all those years when eating cooked meat was banned because we were in the European Union. It's amazing to think that while we were subject to the laws of Brussels, we had to eat all our meat raw, like the French, who only eat live horse. So barbecues were banned 
by the unelected moguls of the EU who told us the coals that lit the meat were fossil fuels that could no longer be mined, so all barbecues had to be replaced by wind turbines by 2024. On top of that, they told us every mouthful at a barbecue had to contain sauces from all 27 member states of the European Union, including schnitzelputz from Croatia, which is made from blended slugs farmed in the mountains of Dubrovnik. Now, because the heroic British people shook off their chains and rose as one, unanimously rejecting the overlords of Strasbourg, we can once again stand in a garden eating chicken wings. Though sadly, I couldn't seem to find any tomatoes. Still, you can't have everything. Mine's a pint of badger phlegm. Cheers! What the fuck is going on? Thank you so much to all those of you who are now supporting us on Patreon. It's because of you that we can continue our quest to find out what the fuck is going on. If you would like to join these wonderful, virtuous, radiant people for as little as £2 a month, just follow the link on our Twitter page or go to www.patreon.com and type in what the F is going on, or to really know what's going on for just £4 a month, you'll get a longer ad-free version of the episode with with extended interviews and bonus sketches, and I do the whole thing in a smoking jacket in the drawing room. This week, the extended sketch will be George Galloway talking about his battles with hay fever, and you'll get discounts on live shows, which we'll be doing more of later in the year. Also, you'll get the episodes on Friday nights, unlike everybody else who has to wait until Saturday mornings, desperately praying that nothing of any significance happens in the meantime to make everything out of date. So go to www.patreon.com and type in what the F is going on to join the WTF community. It has come solemnly to that time that we all revere every week in which the podcast delivers its announcements as part of the the ritual that has held us together as a nation since the days of Alfred the Great, when no doubt he would announce that uh, every week, sometimes thinking, there's, there's nothing, nothing's happened. What am I going to announce? Alfred, it's the fucking announcements. You can't not have any announcements. And people would gather in Winchester or wherever he happened to be, and he would have to stand upon a plinth and say, uh, well, we are having uh, a meeting about the in, the proposed uh, invention of the wheelbarrow. Uh, that's on Thursday, if anyone wants to come at 6.30. Uh, and also, there there is the, the Plague Awareness Committee, if anyone wants to come along to that. And so we will continue with that tradition here, as the, being the fine patriots that we are. Uh, the announcements are, there will be... Live shows coming up later in the year. Obviously, they're going to be cut. If they were cut, there was live shows earlier in the year. There's no point in announcing them, is there? And also, I've got a few shows left in before I sort of have two or three months off not doing any live shows. The only one you're going to be able to go to if you're listening to this is at Telford on the 23rd of June. It's the last one in the whole of the tour that I've done. And then uh, they'll, I'll start again in September and you can come to places like order shot that's the only one i can think of off the top of my head if you go to my website you'll find that i haven't updated it for 34 years so also people have been getting in touch with us 
on our Patreon account as well as on Twitter, wanting to know what the fuck is going on with certain things. For example, Richard Vine, one of our Patreon supporters, says, Nadine Doris accuses sinister forces, that's her words, of preventing her entrance to the House of Lords. Other than give these sinister forces a medal, can you suggest where else we can send this upstanding politician? It's very, very important question, Richard, what we do with her. I think that ideally she should be sent to football teams that are failing. So, you know, you sort of get people like Sam Allardyce, less so now, um, um, people like that, certain football managers that are suddenly in, in a fit of panic, bought in at the end of February, in a, at the end of February for so that they can keep a team up, save it from being relegated. I think Nadine Doris should be the opposite. When a team is being relegated, she should be sent there so that every week at the press conference, when they've lost 7-0 again to Mansfield, she can go, our manager is the greatest fucking manager of all time. Don't you have a go at him. He's been fucking brilliant. He's won every match he's ever played, you shit house. And um, and just sort of keep the spirits up in, in that way. I think that's one thing she could do. Or pretty much any job she could go to, probably the, where the most terrible, corrupt filthy boss who was where if you get a school where there's a a teacher that is arrested for having a series of of affairs with people in year nine she can go don't you fucking know you're only having a go at him because he's fucking working class you bastard just because he 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 went to harrow and you and and that that's because he was poor you fucking shit house so uh, I, I think she could perform a, a perform a service like that. I think you're absolutely right. She's one of our best-loved uh, and upstanding politicians, Richard. Louis Weston asks, how does a 29-year-old become a peer? Now, this, I've not looked at this to, to any great degree, but what I do know is that there is a 29-year-old woman who has become a peer in Boris Johnson's resignation honours list, having not done anything of any note. When you think all the people that have done things of various note, people who have been window cleaners maybe for eight years, and in that time cleaned maybe 150,000 windows, they have done something. This woman, Charlotte Owen, was a special advisor to Boris Johnson, and she's going to become the youngest ever life peer. That means she's not just not just like, oh, I'm giving you 50 grand. She's going to actually be part of the political process in which she can form our laws, right? And she was also, her last political posting was a special advisor to Liz Truss, during Liz Truss's few weeks as Prime Minister. As Liz Truss, that would be like making me a life peer because of my services to being a milkman when I was categorically and unequivocally the worst milkman ever, sometimes getting back to the yard, having forgotten to deliver a single bottle of milk, crashing the milk float on 30 or 40 occasions, causing probably eight or nine million pounds of damage running over badgers, delivering raw chicken and causing fucking outbreaks of E. coli. Bill McCarran on Twitter says, it's 29 degrees in Glasgow today. That's an obvious hate crime against Glaswegians. And yet the silence of the media is deafening. I'm so sorry, Billy McCarran on Twitter. And I know that this is an issue that, you know, you get these people go, why is the, the weather so London centric? Oh, yeah, you always have the weather in London on the little map on the BBC News, but never Oswestry 
or Kakaldi. <laughs> and that's a fair complaint. And that indeed, in this case, not even in Glasgow, 29 degrees in Glasgow. I doubt that there is anything left of Glasgow now. It's just going to be a great big puddle of melted Scottishness. Finally, Benjamin Mans Mardi, another one of our patron supporters, says, Mark, I think you're the only person I'd follow if you started a cult. Don't worry, I'm spreading the word here in Germany. Uh, thank you, Benjamin Mans Mardi. I think what Germany needs is a cult. I don't know why Germany has never tried it. I think it would be a marvellous idea to have a cult leader who was um, a, a megalomaniac. And um, I, I think Germany could only benefit from it. And, um, you know, I'm willing to make that sacrifice. Thank you very much. Oh, what the fuck is going on? Now, as the world hurtles ever more viciously towards its uh, nadir, we, we have to not only ask what the fuck is going on, but we have to get expert advice from all the generations to help us out, out of this abyss. That is why we have with us someone who I bred specially for the case, Mr. Elliot Steele. What the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on, Elliot? I don't know. Oh, God, that was part of the booking, I'm afraid. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> there there's something you know what's going on with. Yeah. Right. I, I, because I, when I started doing stand-up, there was no... There were no rules. There were no courses. There was nobody to tell you what was happening. You just sort of tried it. It was probably like the first time people tried to make fire. There yeah. was no sort of, there was no health and safety like there is. No bloody European Union telling you how you couldn't, couldn't bloody rub twigs together. You just sort of, so people were just trying and everything. Now, I sort of hear about all of these courses and everything, and I'm sure they can, they, they can, a lot of the advice can be really, uh, um, helpful, and all your generation of comics and younger than you are very technically very, very good and so on very much more quickly than we were. We were a mess. But what are some of the rules that you get that they teach at these things? I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I don't know what they teach. So I think it's just, I think it's just like, it's formulaic joke writing. You can always tell when someone's kind of done a comedy course because not that this is like a formula, it, it, it can be done really well. Like, that's like, duh, 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 duh. but if it, you always see someone go, oh, uh, what's funny is if you put someone out of place. So, like, imagine, <laughs> imagine like, ah, uh, Jesus, but he's uh, on a cruise ship. Uh, oh, that, like, that is like, quite that, funny. That, that's the kind of thing, like, you know, so it's like formulate joke writing and things like that, which I, I think any formulaic stuff it, it, it works it's a good way to probably advance yourself you that know, is quite funny though but oh my god man overbought fucking hell how's he managing that yeah 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 that's he's kind just, of that oh kind my of god he's just jumped over and he's he's just walked over to that whale yeah that's that's <laughs> that's the kind of thing and it's not that sort of thing and we have uh, I'm afraid we've run out of wine. Yeah. Hang on, I'm sure there was none left. Now there's a hundred bottles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we can keep going with this. Yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah, no, we could. We could keep going with it. That is an option. It could just be I'm this afraid that minutes. if there is anyone here who can make any of the meagre resources last 
there's a little bit of fish and a tiny bit of bread. And I know there are about 400 people on the cruise, plus the staff. So, but oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's another thing they'll teach you is the rule of three. So that what you've just done there is a rule of three that you use three examples. And the last one should be the most ridiculous one. Yeah. And then, but then it would end up just as you just as they were coming into Tangiers, there would be a load of people who got really angry with all the things that he was doing. And uh yeah, then they've uh, um, but the Unfortunately, the nails went straight through the hull and the whole boat sink. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, I'm glad you've had fun with this. <laughs> Let's do another one. No, it's, it's fucking god awful comedy. Imagine if if the Vikings were in a fishmonger's. Oh, my God, this is improv, and it is literally the lamest thing in the world. I, there is, there is so fucking drama student-y. And one of them's going to come in and go, oh, hello, have you got any of the haddock? Please, all right, then I'll do it. Please, could you please get your longboat out of the out of the out of the fishmongers? It's going right out onto the street and causing a traffic jam. <laughs> Why? It's so bad. <laughs> the thing, the thing is, is, is speed impresses people. If, if improv is so quick that people don't have time to think about what they've just heard, because another thing is coming. So really good improv. If you see really, really good improv, it is magical. It is good. Oh, I think it, that it, when like, you know, the, the much lamented Andy Smart and uh, Paul Merton yeah. and people like that are doing it, it's brilliant. But now one of the things, and I don't know where, this is the one that I really, really cannot think who, who come up with this, that there's a thing that they do. I thought he was joking called the 40-minute lull. Have you heard of this? Yeah, you if put, you're a doing a, bit, put a sad bit. You've got to put a sad bit in at 40 minutes because the audience can't laugh continuously for 40 minutes. So you've got to put a sad bit in at 40 yeah. minutes so people have it's, a minute to get sad. It's not sad. that the audience can't laugh. What is it then? It's just like a theatre trick. Like you're making them laugh for 40 minutes, then for two minutes you give them a sad bit. And then you do the next sort of 10, 12 minutes about all like What's a load of shit? Um, I don't think it is a load of shit. I think it's an overused trope. I think it I think it became I think it's a it, so basically from my understanding of it, right? right so you know like the idea in Edinburgh, the dead dad show is a thing. <laughs> yes, yeah, so yes, like, the dead so dad like so, like, there's a thing about Edinburgh, mm. like, if you need, you know, do the show and then at the 15 minutes from the end, kill your dad off. And then, and then that's like the sad part, right? And that's that, part of the sort of the formulaic way of doing right. Edinburgh. So, I wonder if anyone's ever done that and gone, and at the end gone, and I'm really delighted to say that my dad's with us tonight. Yeah, yeah. He's in the audience. <laughs> well, the reason that's the thing is because Russell Kane years ago apparently had this spectacular show. <laughs> apparently, it was amazing. Uh, and everyone I know, anyone I know, like loves that show, and it's a the whole show's about his relationship with his dad, and then in, like at the forty five minute point, you find out his dad died, so right. he, with the audience builds this relationship. Right, I've I've maybe I've misunderstood it, but I think the idea that there's a natural 
I mean, I think if you're writing a show and around about the 40 minute mark, it, it's not getting many laughs, then do a different bit. Well, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> you know, that's. There's something wrong with the you bit. Can, you've got a 40 minutes. I can't. You can put something a bit more poignant at nearer the end because you've probably built a massive relationship with the audience. So that's probably the point yeah, if you maybe. were to do something a bit more poignant. I mean, you you do way too long on stage. So your 45 minute low mark would actually have to come out about seven hours and 30 minutes in <laughs> because you do way too long a time on stage. And it's actually, it's actually mm. quite rude. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've loved doing my. I've been loving this. You tour. love doing your tour because well, you the people do three stay. Hours they all, because yeah, they've got no quite three hours. They, I, 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 I've got every option. I don't have my show. I've been at your show. Oh my show. god! I've got I've to get my train. Where do you think you're going? There is twenty I've, minutes and then the on car. I've been at your show and I've seen people get up and leave because they're like, we've got a babysitter and we have to like, <laughs> let, like you know, we can't like. Is that what they said? Is it? Is that what they said? We've got a babysitter. I've seen It's called an evening and part of the morning. That's the name of the show. I know, but you don't actually have to do it. I've been enjoying doing this one. I know, because you you do too long. Have we got a minute just to talk about my favourite Edinburgh? I know, I'm I'm sure I've mentioned this on the podcast before. My favourite Edinburgh game, which I started doing when I was was younger than you, I think, was that every year in Edinburgh, when I'm up there at the festival, I have a time when I just walk in a certain direction at random and I go to the first show that I come across whatever it is and my good friend Matthew Norman who's been on this show mm. once I did it I was with him up there he was up there for a couple of days his son was up there living up there and so I met up with him for a couple of days and he was going oh what well, we could go and I, no 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 Matthew no we can't even no we just go to the next thing and mm. we found ourselves on some stairs I can't remember where it was at the pear tree maybe oh, yeah. uh on some stairs and he was he was trying to find out what well, even then while we were queuing up to go in nope 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 we'll find out when we get in there and we got in and it was a new zealand puppet theater doing a puppet version of pulp fiction was it good of course it wasn't any good <laughs> and the and the and the puppets got tangled <laughs> and they had a samuel l jackson and a john travolta puppet and they're tangled and they're going we're just trying to get the. If you can just wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, me and a, me and another comic who I won't name because it will give the it will give the game away. We try and go to to see the worst thing we can think we can find, like really bad. Um, and he he messaged me one time that he'd gone to see something, and I think there was three people in the audience, which can happen in Edinburgh. <laughs> Uh, but it, this, it was in one of those venues that was miles out of town. And the problem was, was that there was people, it was the door, the, the where the stage was, was the door to the bathroom. So every now and then you'll just hear, and wait for the person to stop drying their hands. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Mr. Elliot Steele. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've liked it, rate it. And if you can be bothered, write a review. If you can't be bothered, 
absolutely spend all day and all night writing, rewriting and correcting your review. If there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, please send me a message on Twitter at WTF is going on pod at WTF is going on pod. And we will look at every message that you send. If you'd like to become a WTF supporter and get early access to ad free extended versions for as little as two pounds a month, please visit our Patreon page. What the fuck is going on? was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Jim Bob and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander. It was written by Mark Steele and Pete Sinclair. The music was by Willie Dowling. It was produced by Mike Benwell at Carousel Studios. And what the fuck is going on? was brought to you by WTF Productions. 